33. Chapter 33 this morning as the children are going back. Chapter 33, kind of hold your place there. We're actually going to go through a few chapters today, kind of going to buzz through certain parts of it. Um, a lot there. Um, but as we continue in our journey with the Hebrews through the wilderness here, last week we saw where the Hebrews sinned a great sin. They made a molten calf to worship after just 40 days prior being told by God expressly not to make idols of gold and silver. 40 days. And that's what they end up doing. We saw, saw how God through Moses dealt with the situation. Uh, first we saw the character of the people, who these people really were. They were stiff-necked people. They weren't a good people out there. We want to Try to think, because since God called them out, that made them good. No, just God called them out. Just God is God, and God's amazing is what it is. We looked at the chat between Moses and God concerning these people and what they did, and that was interesting. We saw the chiding that Moses gave to this people. Uh, what he did was he burned the calf, he ground it into powder, and he put it into water. And you might say those children of the Hebrews had to drink the Kool-Aid. You get the picture. We also saw the chastening or punishment of the people. 3,000 men were killed by the sword. The Levites, the famous phrase, you know, who is on the Lord's side? And the Levites came over and they had to go and kill their own brothers, their people they knew uh, who had sinned against the Lord. 3,000 killed. We saw the cost, uh, the cost of Moses who interceded for the people. We saw the cost of the 3,000 lives of those who defied God. We saw the cost of the remaining group of people having been plagued by God. After that, then God sent a plague upon them. And according to our covenant we were talking about in the Mosaic, you know, that's they disobeyed. They were going to receive cursings and difficulties. Today we see that after the plague upon this people, they receive the threat from God that he is in consideration of utterly destroying them. Now, when I kind of put a picture into my mind, there was a, a situation at my house when I was growing up, and me and my brother were of age, you know, 16 to 20 or something, and I, I don't know what my, I can't remember what my brother Ray did. But I remember my dad was ready to utterly destroy him. <laughs> It was a fearful time. And so God, is, as we're going to see here, is still kind of wrestling with what to do with this people. May I just need to be done with them. So today through chapters 33 through 36 of Exodus, we will see just how close, how close people can get to God, yet not come to true faith and belief in him. Uh, Brother Mike, I see him talking about that and trying to explain, like, you know, somebody can go right up to the church door, but not go in the church and say they've been at church, but they really weren't at church. They came that close. You can get a lot closer than that than what we'll see today and still not know the Lord as your, as your Savior. Now, through the teaching of the book of Hebrews that Mike has been teaching, we see the phenomena 
uh, of this revealed in Hebrews 3.15. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, did provoke. And you'll hear that word, the provocation. It's constantly referred to in the Bible that day. It's talking about this Hebrew time when the Hebrew just provoked God, provoked, provoked him. But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. We see the warning of us today in chapters 4 of Hebrews. It continues, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. It says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So I'm going to entitle the message, So Close, But Yet So Far. So Close but yet so far. Let's pray. Father, this, this is just the message. Uh, there's many messages that could come out of this portion of scriptures, but this is the one that you laid on my heart this morning. It should not be a message to introduce doubt into a true believer, but rather it ought to bring a warming truth and confidence by the Holy Spirit of God of what a great salvation we have and what really salvation is. But in truth, also, I pray that it would strike the heart of those who have a salvation by works, trying to merit God's favor and open their eyes to the true salvation only found in Christ. And that today they'll fall before their Savior, give themselves wholly to Him for their salvation and for lordship of their life. And that as believers, that this message would help us to lead our families, our children, our friends, and acquaintances to the true place where salvation must be obtained. And we ask all these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to be looking at the Hebrews as a, as a people as a generation of people, as a whole. It was a generation God was dealing with. He, you see, he dealt with, with a group. Now, if we don't know the whole story, if we just came into this portion of Scripture, it's going to look pretty good on these people. Okay? We might see them as a people, a believing people, but we already know these weren't and as a whole, a believing people. We also know the future of their history and the knowledge given to us through the book of Hebrews that we've been studying that references this time. What they were were religious. They were religious, but yet they were lost. It reminds me of our nation, so-called a Christian nation. I believe there isn't a whole lot of people who are truly saved. And you can go into churches, even churches, and depending on what the church is, there may be few that are saved in some of the, the churches. 
Let's look at Exodus 33, verse 1, and we'll comment as we go along. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart, and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land where I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee. For thou art a stiff-necked people. He included Moses in this. I mean, he's part of this group. Hey, we could be the best Christian and whatever. We're still part of this nation. Got to be a little concerned about it. Thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on him his ornaments. Remember, we kind of talked a little bit about the earrings and the ornaments and where they got all that stuff from, and God saying, put off your ornaments. For the Lord had said unto Moses, in verse 5, Say unto the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. This is a good turning. There's a fear of the people now. And God said, I don't want to see all your things. Get rid of all your things on you. All your pretty stuff and all that stuff that you make life with. And get them all because I'm not sure what I'm going to do to you. And they took it seriously. Here's what the people heard. When I thought about this, very familiar with what we're learning about Jonah. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, this is a wicked people. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Now, it's interesting. They, this is a wicked people. God gave them the opportunity. God held back his hand from destroying them. What happened to Nineveh later? They were finally destroyed. The people of Israel are coming before the Lord to get right to see what God will do unto them. And we're going to kind of see kind of what they were going through through this. Remember, they just, they just went through the whole golden calf thing and they seen 3,000 people get killed. They had a plague and now God's saying, I'm about to, I don't want to go with you and maybe I just need to destroy you. Moses was accounted with his people, but what Moses heard was different 
Because now Moses was a true believer. Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, what you need to know here, they haven't built the true tabernacle yet. They are just getting ready to here soon. But this was like a temporary, I don't know, it doesn't really say what it was, a tent that they actually put outside the camp. Like, and uh, the people could go there and uh, worship God there, and they'd come out of there, and that's where Moses would go to. It's kind of a temporary uh, setup. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And verse 8, And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. So you need to get the picture here. These people already know that God might just wipe them off. They said they've taken their ornaments off. When Moses goes up there, they all, as good as they can be, come out of their tent and they worship. As Moses goes in, because they know Moses is the one who's going to make uh, a case uh, for them. Verse 9, And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle of the door. I would say that would be pretty convincing to believe in God, wouldn't you? How close can you get it not believe on him? They hadn't believed on him. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. And I want you to listen. This is this is an amazing verse that's thrown in here. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. There was something different about this Joshua. Numbers 32.11 says, Surely this is in a future event with the spies, and Joshua and Caleb were two that came back and gave the good report. We could... We can get this land. God's before us. Yeah, there's giants and all that, but man, look at all this here. God wants to take us in this land. But the others discouraged the people, the other ten. It says in Numbers 32, 11, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And in Numbers 14, 24, it says, But my servant Caleb, <clears throat> because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land wherein he went and his seed shall possess it. Numbers 27, 18, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him. Yet all the other crowd, who had an appearance of worshiping Joshua, stayed in the tabernacle where God's presence was coming down. 
The difference between Joshua and Caleb was they had something different inside. Something different inside than those, than from the others, uh, the people. Here's what God said about religious people and worship. Isaiah 29, 13 says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. This is, um, here's a definition of religion right here. What men say, not what God says. Take God, he took God out of their heart and have a religion that's convenient for them, that they like, that fits them. Ezekiel 33, 31, And they came unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, <clears throat> and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. The whole life says something different. And then Jesus said this about the Jewish religion. Oh, this is the Jews, God's chosen people, right? He says, ye hypocrites, well did Esaias prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. But in vain emptiness do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. What is the separation between the religious and the saved? The religious worketh for their salvation. It's a work salvation. You'll find when it comes down to it, there's something that they have did that they feel like they've earned or done or whatever. The saved put their full trust, faith, and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ wholly. They have set aside their labors to earn salvation and they've entered what we've been talking about into the rest of salvation that's what the whole Sabbath is about it's really talking about salvation it wasn't well understood in the beginning, but now we're beginning to understand this the one who has truly trusted Christ as their savior they have the Holy Spirit living in them. They have a different spirit. The Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit of promise is what distinguishes us from a lost religious world. Just like Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit. They separated themselves from the unbelievers who had the image and they bowed down before God. I mean, it's going to look really good. They're going to be so close to God that you couldn't put a hair between them, we're going to see. But yet, really didn't believe. Continuing in our text, verse 12, And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. This is an interesting portion of scripture. Moses has some like straight up conversations with God. Now, 
Let me tell you something. This is the only God in the world that's, that's approachable. All the other gods you'll find, and they're, they're not approachable gods. They are here and you are there. But you have to approach God correctly. And you got to be careful. Moses uses this, I know thee by name, and thou hast found grace in my sight. Now perhaps what Moses was pressing on God was referring to him by referring to him by name and finding grace in his sight. You know, why would he think that God would pay attention to his request? Well, I just thought of these verses prior that I'm sure Moses knew about because Moses wrote these books. Genesis 6, 5, And God saw the wickedness of man and was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth and it grieved him at his heart. Isn't that, that the position God was right in with these people? And really Noah was a part of the, that people of that generation. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But then it says this, and I think this is what Moses was challenging God with. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Verse 13 in our text. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, my presence shall go with thee, and he says, I will give thee rest. Moses, the other people probably have all things concerned in the mind. So, okay, if we go to this problem, what's it going to take? And what's really there? And, you know, how's that going to benefit me? You know, Moses here just seems to have one interest. If anything, if we're going to go, God, you need to go with us. I want your presence. That's that's. He didn't care about anything else. He said in verse 14, And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Verse 15, And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. He's appealing to what God's will was. He was the separate of people, and he's, he's, he's appealing in God's will. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Oh, now he takes one step up and says, I want to see you, God. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. So a lot of times in the scriptures, you've got to understand, they saw a representation of God. Nobody has saw God face to face, because they can't live. And, and shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I'll put thee in a cliff of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And that's what that song is about that we sing. 
and I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Now, Exodus 34, 1. <clears throat> Remember when Moses came off the mountain the first 40 days, and he see the calf, he took the commandments that God had wrote with his own finger, and he smashed them at the base of the mount. In verse 34, God's going to call him up again. The Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself to me in the top of the mount. It's a little different here when he goes up this time. He went three times the last time we see him. It says, And no man shall come up with thee. Men went up with him before. Neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount. Neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up unto Mount Sinai and the Lord, as the Lord commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tables of stone. <clears throat> and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed. Listen to what the Lord proclaimed because he wanted to see his glory. Here's the glory of God, folks. This is pretty special. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. That's the God we have. Keeping mercy for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. He will be God. He will be just still. He has to because He's God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generations. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels, such as have not been done in the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to kind of go th browse through the rest of some of these verses here. Verses 11 through 16, God promises to drive out the enemies in the promised land. He says, I'll drive them out. God gives warnings not to covenant with those people in the land, the Canaanites. You remember what a covenant? We talk about a covenant, make any kind of deals with them, you know. You don't do that. He said, but rather you destroy their gods. Their altars and their groves. This was a wicked, 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 godless people. And not give themselves to marry their daughters. Because he knew, you marry the daughters. The daughters have a lot of influence. And then they influence, and next thing you know, what are they going to do? They're going to worship those gods. And he states that he is a jealous God. God is jealous over us. This is kind of cool. I mean, he loves us so much that he's so jealous over us. He just 
doesn't want us getting into the things of the world, loving things other than, than him. He wants, you know, he wants to be our all in all. And then in verse 17, he says this, Thou shalt make thee no molten gods. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking they just got through that. They were told that before they did it. They seen what happened. And now it's just 40 days later, and he has to repeat this again? 2 Kings 10.29, Howbeit from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, this was the people of God, Jehu departed not from after them to wit the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. Jeroboam, when the kingdom split, Jeroboam, what does he do? He takes anybody in it, whoever can be priests, and he sets up two golden calves to worship in two different places. How close can you get and still not believe in God? Obviously pretty close. Verses 18 through 27, he tells Moses what feasts are to be observed and when they are to be observed and how they are to be observed. And then verse 28, <clears throat> we'll catch up there. And he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water, and he wrote upon the tables of the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> and it appears to me, like as I read this wording, that it was Moses now where is who wrote those. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. Can you imagine that? I, I don't know how to imagine it, but like your face would glow. It was spooky to these people. <laughs> and when the Aaron, and Aaron and the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, that they were afraid to come nigh him. That's probably looked like a horror movie, probably. <laughs> like we've seen. But it was because, and he didn't even realize, because he was with God. He was up there 40 days and 40 nights, no food. No water. He was supernaturally taken care of. The Hebrews saw Moses' face glow. Wouldn't that cause you to believe? How close can you get to God and yet not believe? Exodus 35.1 Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said unto them, These are the words which the Lord hath commanded that ye should do them. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you an holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whosoever doeth work therein shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath day. And then we see in here that a building project is about to be started. The tabernacle is to be built by the very blueprints given by God. And these people are going to do it. God gives them instructions. It also in here shows how God supernaturally gifted people, especially one person's mentioned here, to know how to do all the work. Like It'd be like me or you trying to do a sculpture on Mount Rushmore. Like We have no ability, but then... God puts this ability in them supernaturally to be able to go do this amazing 
work. And it wasn't just, you know, us men, we think of the building and stuff like that, but there's curtains and weavings and different stuff that they, they all knew how to do. And Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, the Lord hath called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur. You've heard of him, of the tribe of Judah. Now, I'm going to stop off here a little bit. In um, the Jewish Talmud, which is kind of like a historic and um, commentaries on the Word of God, it's not scriptural, but it's more like historical. They actually have in their writings, when we talked about when Aaron made the calf, we thought they'd been destroyed, that they, they said that her, which her was, you know, her and Aaron were um, big people that God set aside were the people they said, it says in the Talmud that they killed her. And they were getting ready to kill Aaron. And Aaron just had to submit, which kind of, in one sense, makes some sense. Otherwise, I don't know why Aaron would have been kept alive in that. So God fills these men supernaturally. The people give from their heart. It says, and, and they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work. These guys are building, and there's too much coming in, which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. For the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make, and too much. One of the greatest building projects of God that would be in biblical times would, would be this tabernacle. And these people put their heart into it. They are actually building a replica of the true tabernacle in heaven one day. The true one where Jesus Christ will place his own blood on the altar. And they're building a replica of this. How close can you get to God and be so far away. They were completely unbelievers. You got people, you can build. I mean, we have a building project and we can all just give, 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 give. And, you know, and if, if it's of us, you know, what we need to give is what God tells us to give. And be glad in that. You know, these people gave, they were just giving. They were just in the moment. And... Doesn't in the Bible say it's better to obey than sacrifice? They couldn't hear it. There's lots of people building amazing structures. And look what we've done and the beauty of this. God does nowhere near that place. And people think they're great Christians. So close doing all these things, but yet far, far away from God. So how close can you get to God and yet be a million miles away? Very, very, very close. God doesn't want us to miss that. It's not in anything we do. It's all of what he did for us. And then finally, what it says is we can finally stop from our works. We have a weekend. We know what that feels like. We understand God's given us that understanding. We all go for Friday. Well, 
except for Tim, he had weird days, I don't know. <laughs> but you know, that Friday, it's done, that's Friday, because we got the week we can rest. That feeling. God is saying, you try to serve, you do all these things, you try and all in yourself, all of your works, and trying to be what I need to be. You know, people could go to foreign countries, they can go down to the poor people and help them out and do all these works and try to earn it. They need to realize that Jesus Christ is the one and the only. He paid it all. And when you realize that, you step into his rest. Forever, ever saved. You can't go back. You won't want to go back. That's where Joshua and Caleb and Moses were. The rest of the people all around them, a glowing face, smoke out of the mountain, a pillar of cloud over the tent. God speaking directly, they heard his words, and yet they didn't believe. Heads bowed and eyes closed. As we consider this great time, may we not be fooled in our life. I do pray that this, if you're saved, this ought to really like encourage you in your heart, knowing that you're in the hand of God, that you're in the rest of Him, and that's the place to be. And if you're out of that hand, if you're fighting against Him, you need to just cuddle back into His great grace. He wants us to rest in that. There's people who are just trying, and trying to be saved. You can't try and be saved. You either are or you aren't. But think about this too as we think about our families, our parents, our brothers and sisters, our own children, our acquaintances that we meet on our jobs. We need to get this message to them of Jesus Christ in them. Give them the gospel, the true gospel. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You see, for the Christian, the works we do is because of what he has already done for us. We cannot earn anything from God, but we're in a world of people trying to earn it, justify it, put it into their own terms, religions, us to remember for all these people we love around us to, to give them the truth to give them the truth and love because how great a salvation it is when we get it right amen thanks for your attention hope you have a good lord's day today let's pray father thank you again for your word and just what we see in it and uh, what we can draw from it and learn from it and uh, we need the truth so badly. Uh, we, we're, we're a tendency to take into lies. Uh, that's just our nature. This world, we know, we're seeing the lies and people buying them. What a shame. May we, may we love them enough to tell the truth and to, and to get the gospel to them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.